Hey, it's so good to be with you all. I'll try not to talk too loud. I get really excited sometimes. Actually, just keep, keep talking. Oh, okay. Oh, look at that. All right. Hey, I'm excited to be with you and to share some of God's word with you this morning. Um, and I just have a question for you as we start our time. What kind of arguer are you? Successful. Successful. <laughs> 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 now I'm nervous. No, no, it's, it's kind of a weird question, I know, but I remember learning the fact that people argue in different ways. I remember learning this a while back. I was in college, and I just started dating my wife, Judy, and we were early on in our relationship. We were still in that honeymoon phase where everything was great, but we just had our first real argument. I don't know what exactly what happened. I'm sure it was my fault. Um, <laughs> In fact, I think I said something like I, I think I said something as I meant it as a joke, but she didn't take it as a joke, and so she got upset, and then I got upset that she was upset, and it was this really good, healthy thing that we were working with. And, and, and so we we both were uh, kind of mad for a while, but we decided to meet at a coffee shop one day and try to just talk it out. So we we sat down there, and and I started sharing, you know, I just meant this as a joke, you know, I, I thought it'd be funny, but I'm really sorry I didn't mean it that way. And so Judy was just sitting there and listening to me talk, and after I finished my piece, she reached into her purse, and she took out this piece of paper. And this piece of paper had handwriting on both sides, and she just starts reading to me. She says, Dear Joe, which right there, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> she says, Dear Joe, when you said that thing, it really hurt my feelings, and here's why. And she literally just wrote down her entire argument, word for word, and read it to me. And in this entire, this whole coffee shop's just like staring at us. Like, what are these two people doing? This is really weird. I was getting uncomfortable. She was getting emotional. And it was, and like at one point, I think I asked her a question, like, what's happening? And, and then she turned the page and she said, if you have asked what's happening, here's what's happening. You see, apparently for, for Judy, especially back then, but even sometimes now, when, when she got upset or when she got emotional, it became hard for her to, to really process what was going on in her head. And she had to write things down, and as soon as she saw something written down, it just instantly became clear in her head. And so now, this is true, whenever I see a piece of paper come out, I just run. I'm out of there, man. You can knock it Hey, today, though, I want to talk to you about something that you read and studied in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9, about prayer, about specifically these prayers of the Bible that we've been able to learn about and learn about God in. See, as we look at prayer, my guess is that each one of us here in this room has a different view, a different relationship with prayer, a different feeling about our own prayer life. But today, as we look at prayers of the Bible, of the idea and the power of praying scripture, I want to show you that there is so much power and there is so much clarity. But we take time to declare the truth in God's word in our prayer life. If we model our prayers after those found in the Bible and how there is a way to have the prayer life that we've always wanted. And so as we look at this prayer in Nehemiah 9, and as you've been studying it, it's almost like this history lesson, isn't it? It's this history of God's faithfulness and of his grace and his never-ending second chances, even in the midst of our wickedness, of our sin. And there's this verse that I read in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33, that kind of sums up, I think, everything that this prayer is talking about. And it's also going to frame our time together today. 
It's verse 33. It says this, uh, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. And so today I want to show you that through different biblical prayers and other scripture that we can see that praying the Bible can unlock something in our relationship with God. And the first thing that we see is praying the Bible unlocks more of who God is. It can unlock more of who God really is. I've learned a lot about relationships through my wife. I remember meeting her parents for the first time, and I was so nervous. It was the first relationship I had been in that I got to the meet the parents stage. And we were in college at the time and on the way back to school from spring break. And so I was coming from my house to the school and she lived on the way. and She didn't have a car, so I told her I would pick her up. And in my head, it was kind of one of those things where I just like pull into the driveway, pick her up real quick and then go. <laughs> or maybe I just like drive slow and she could just jump in. <laughs> but she didn't want to do that for some reason. She said that her parents wanted to meet me. So I said, okay, we'll do that. I was nervous. I wanted these people to like me. But I was also nervous because recently Judy had told me that one thing that her dad liked to do when she was in high school was to prank people that came to their house. In fact, one time she was going to either homecoming or prom or, or some dance, and her dad literally bought on the internet, this is a true thing you can buy online, a, a costume that makes you look like a bush or a tree or something that's so convincing that he hid in their front yard for an hour waiting for this kid to show up. And finally when he came, he hid there and then jumped out at him and scared him half to death. So, like, this is what I'm expecting when I go pick my, my new girlfriend up from her house. So I get there, and I'm nervous, and I'm kind of shaking a little bit, and I'm, like, creeping up, and I'm, like, staring at every bush and everything. Like, I probably look ridiculous. Uh, but finally, I make it to the house. No one jumped at me, and, and I, I ring the door, and, and I, I I'll, man, I'll just be honest with you guys. A lot of people ask me if, if I get nervous teaching in front of people or, or speaking. And I would rather be up here and lose all of my notes and forget what I'm speaking about than meet those people for the first time. <laughs> like, it was so nervous. And it was nothing about them. They were both very nice, and I, I love them now, and they're great. But, but I was just so nervous. You see, every word I spoke, I was overanalyzing, and I wanted to give a firm handshake, but not too firm. And, and like, just all this stuff was going in my head. And finally, we left after what seemed like forever, and I made it about half a block, and then I just had to park the car because I was exhausted. It was, <laughs> it was tiring. You see, the way you start a conversation with someone reveals so much about how you feel about them. Sometimes for me, it's easy to forget that prayer is simply having a conversation with God. Oftentimes it feels like prayer is something more than this. It feels almost like this ritual where I end up saying the same words over and over. Where I say the same things at the same amount of time at the same time of day. And it's so easy for me and maybe for some of you as well to have this kind of stale and shallow prayer life. Where it doesn't feel like this conversation. And yet maybe the answer for us is in looking at different prayers of the Bible and asking ourselves, what can this show me about who God is? What can this show me about who God is? And so I just want to read for you the first two verses of this prayer in Nehemiah 9, and it will be on the screen as well. It says, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. 
You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. How do you start a conversation with someone? If, like me, you're meeting your in-laws for the first time, you're probably a little shaky. If you're talking to your kids or your spouse, you're probably a lot more familiar and casual. Maybe use even a nickname to show how close you are. If you're speaking to your boss, you're probably more respectful and more professional. But the question for us is, how do we start a conversation with God? I'll just speak for myself, and the answer for me many times is the same way I started a conversation when I was a toddler. Gimme. God, give me this. God, I want that. God, provide this for me. God, please just give me what I want. These are my requests. Can you imagine if I started a conversation with any other person in my life that way? Like if every day when I got home from work, my wife said, hi, how are you? And I just said, give me dinner. It would be the last time I would do that. I can promise you that. See, of course we should present our request to God. It says so in Philippians chapter 4. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And yet, as we look at the prayers of the Bible, very few of them begin with these requests. Most of them, in fact, start the way that we are taught to pray by Jesus himself. By acknowledging who we are speaking to. By acknowledging our creator. Look at Matthew 6. This is how Jesus wants us to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, showing that God is not just any other person that we speak to, but he is so much greater. He is holy. He is set apart from us. See, it's this acknowledgement that we are not just having an ordinary conversation. And before we present our request to God, One of the best things we can do in our prayer life is, first of all, to take time to praise him for who he is. To remember that it's he before me. See, when we do this, when we start with who he is, it gets me out of this selfish prayer life where everything is about my life and my situation. And instead, it reminds me that I'm speaking to the almighty God, the creator of everything that I have ever experienced. See, when we do this, it opens us up to so much more of the Bible that reminds us of who he is. You see, the God that we are praying to is the God that is true in all of these verses. He is the God that is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the God that is the embodiment of love. He is the God that is the creator of all. He is the God in Isaiah 41 that strengthens us and that upholds our right hand. He is the God that there is no one like. He is completely unique in his power and in his greatness. And he is the God that does not change. And he will not allow us to be destroyed. Here's a summary for those of you that are trying to write it all down. I know I'm going quick. But this is the God that we pray to. This is the God of every situation, not just the ones that we are dealing with right now. This is the God that when we're confused and unsure of what's going on, that he is our truth. And he is the way to discover what our purpose is. 
This is the God that if we're feeling lonely or abandoned, that he is not only loving, he is love. And he is the embodiment of that for us. He's the God that when we're feeling overwhelmed or that life is just too much right now, that he has not changed and he will not allow you to be destroyed. See, this is so much more than just this kind of mysterious being that I say the same words to before meals and before I go to bed. This is the God of every situation. And I know that for many of us, this prayer life being deepened is something that we really long for in our lives. This thing that can enrich our spiritual relationship. And yet maybe the key to unlocking that, maybe the key to getting that richness and that depth that we long for is modeling our prayers after those in the Bible. The prayers that have been grounded in praise for who he is. To remind ourselves who we're speaking to. And I wonder what could happen in each of our prayer lives if, if we started every prayer with a praise of who he is. How it could change our attitudes. How it could change the words that we use and the time that we give. How it could even change the posture that we pray with. Because of who he is. Praying the Bible unlocks more of who God is. The second thing it does is it unlocks more of who we are. More of who we are. Judy and I have been here at Chapel Street for about six months. And um, like Michelle said, we came from Indianapolis. And one of the reasons we moved here and wanted to, to be here is to be closer to my family. My parents live in the area. And since we've moved here, we've spent a lot more time with them. And it's interesting, to for those of you that are parents, I'm sure that you know kind of how this parent-child relationship evolves over time and how it changes as the child becomes an adult. And yet, as my parents are quick to remind me, some things about myself haven't changed. <laughs> when I was around 10 years old, I remember I had this homework assignment to create this timeline of my life. Now, I was 10, so there wasn't much to go with, but, but they wanted us to kind of put together any stories or facts about ourselves or pictures that we could find of, of each year. So year one, I did this, year two, et cetera, et cetera. And so I asked my parents for help, and luckily my mom had this journal that she had kept for me and for my brother as well. And in this journal, she kind of wrote down the big milestones of our life and the things that we said. And it was this really cool thing. And when I was a baby, when I was a newborn, there were almost constant entries of the big things that I did and the small ones as well. You know, things like Joe took his first step today. Joe said his first word. Joe's brother, Nick, said he didn't want a brother. You know, the big things. Um, and, and so, and, like I said, in the beginning, it was just constant stuff. And then as I got older, the gaps in between entries got bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, by the time I was three years old, there was one single entry for my entire third life. And it simply said, Joe is stubborn. <laughs> That's all there was for my, and I was so offended. You have no idea. I was like, how dare you? I am perfectly pleasant. I am not stubborn. <laughs> and so, and so this is true. I, I did this homework assignment and I had all of these things written down. And for my third year, I literally just wrote, parents called me stubborn and I refused to put anything else down. And my teacher graded it and kind of circled that. And there's just a question mark. Like, what is this? <laughs> And yes, I understand that me doing that proves that they are right. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you see, sometimes seeing something written down doesn't just unlock more of who God is, but it can also unlock more of who you are. I think today in, in our world, it's so easy to forget where our identity comes from, to listen to the wrong people or allow the people in our lives or even the people in the world 
to give too much voice into who we really are. And one of the things that we learn as we pray the Bible, as we incorporate scripture into our prayer life, is that it reminds us that our identity does not come from what any other person says about you. Even what you say about you, or even what your mom says about you. Your identity is in who God says you are. What is said in his word. This prayer in Nehemiah 9 kind of hints at that and talks about it a little bit. And I read one of these verses before, but this is Nehemiah 9 verse 32. It says, Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted wickedly while we, you have acted faithfully. (laughs) Got to be careful of that one. While we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. So this is kind of the end, or at least towards the end of this really long prayer of Nehemiah where they declare God's faithfulness and his goodness. And they talk about his unending grace for us. And yet, part of our story is that while he has been faithful, we have been sinful. That even in the midst of everything that these people have gone through, that we have a talent as people to forget our identity and to go our own way. Even in the wandering in the desert, in the victory and defeat in the promised land, of the deliverance of Egypt, everything that they had been through, this is part of our story, and yet our identity is not simply in our sin, but it is in our Savior. Our identity is not in our sin, it is in our Savior. There's a quote that I love, maybe you've heard it before, from uh, Timothy Keller. And it says that, this is a paraphrase, but it basically says this, that we are more sinful than we ever dare believe, and more loved than we ever dare hope. You see, our, our identity is not in our failures. It is not in the things that we have done that we wish that we didn't do. It is in that God's love is great and it is enough for us. It's this idea that we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. That if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. You see, this is our identity when we have followed and given our lives to Christ. Not that we are better, not that we have done anything on our own, but that even in our humanity, he sees each one of us as valuable, as loved, as new, and as enough. See, maybe for you, the thing that you need in your prayer life, the thing that will deepen it and richen it for you, is not just declaring who God is, but declaring who you are as well. And there's so much truth in scripture that talks about how God sees you. How in Ephesians 2, he sees you as his handiwork. How he has created you for good works. In Colossians 1, that he has reconciled you and that he presents you as holy and blameless and free. In Matthew 5, he calls you the light of the world. 
In Genesis 1, he talks about how you have been created in his own image. In Psalm 139, he calls you fearfully and wonderfully made. And in that verse we just read, you have been called new. And so here's your summary for those of you writing still. This is who God says you are. This is where your identity comes from. This is what you ground yourself in. Not in what anyone else says, but in who he says you are. And the more that you meditate on this, the more that we all spend time studying this and allowing it to impact every part of our lives, the more that we will become the people that God has created us to be. There's a brief video I want to show you that talks about the power of declaring truth over your life. And it's just a quick one minute thing. Maybe you've seen this before, but it's just a really kind of sweet illustration of how God might see you. And I'm going to wait until I stop, see people stop writing because I want you to get this. Good enough? Close enough? All right. Check this video out. Say, I am strong. I am strong. Say, I am smart. I am smart. Say, I work hard. I work hard. Say, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I am respectful. Yeah. Say, I'm not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. Nobody's better than me. Nobody's better than me. I am amazing. I am amazing. I am great. I am great. What's your name? Aaliyah Austin. If you fall? I get back up. What are you? Unless. Yes. Say thank you, God. Thank you, God. For making me. For making me. The greatest. The greatest. There's nobody. There's nobody. Better. Better. Than me. Than me. I'm right here, God. Thank you. Now, I, I want you to, to take from that not specifically what was said about that girl. But I want you to picture yourself as her and as God speaking this truth over you, not in those words, but in these words. This truth that he has declared over your life. This truth that he wants you to live in. And I wonder what would happen if every time you prayed, you not only declared who God is, but you took time to declare who you are. That you are certainly not perfect, and just like the rest of us, you have made mistakes. And yet because of his faithfulness, because of what he has done on the cross, that he sees you as valuable, as a new creation, as incredibly loved. That before any other label that can be given onto your life, whether it's coworker or friend or mom or grandma or sister or whoever it is, that your first label is child of God. Deeply and fiercely loved. That is who you are. The last thing that praying the Bible can do is that it can be our strength. It can be our strength. I played basketball in high school, and I loved playing, and I loved the games. 
One thing I didn't love was the practices. We had practice in high school pretty much every day, and, and I really didn't enjoy it a lot of the times because one of the things that our coaches would have us do is that we would do the same drills and practice the same fundamentals over and over and over again. And it was so repetitive that it came to a point where our team knew what was coming next in our practice because it was the same as the day before and the day before that. And as kids, you know, we want to do new stuff and learn new things and do new trick plays and all that stuff. And so we one day complained to our coach that, you know, why are we doing the same things? And I remember our coach said something to us that has stuck with me ever since. He said that in every close game in the game of basketball, there came a time that he would call gut check time, which is like a total coach thing to say. And, and, and he was saying, gut check time, if the score is close, and if the stakes are high, and if there's a lot of pressure on your decision making, that what you do in practice, that the habits that you have built, those will be what come out in the game. And a lot of times that was the difference between winning and losing. And I think there's something true for us in that, not just in the game of basketball, but also as we approach life and as we approach prayer. You see, we all have moments in life where there's pressure, where we're struggling, where the consequences of life have been revealed to us. And it is in those times where the things that we have meditated and studied and prayed come out. The things that we truly believe will be revealed. And I want to read to you uh, part of a story of some of the last hours of Jesus' life here on earth before he was crucified and before he rescued each one of us. He was with his disciples, and this is in Matthew 26, starting at verse 36. It says that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What an incredible story about the power and the place of prayer about this time in Jesus' life where he knew what was coming. He knew that there was not only pressure, that there was pain coming his way, that there was betrayal, and that the consequences of the whole world rested on his shoulders. Those were his stakes. And yet he had spent his life not just doing miracles and teaching others, but he had spent his life in prayer. And it is because of that, that habit that he had built, that he was given strength. He was given the strength to do what he had to do. That strength is available to us as well. And yet it comes when we take time in our lives to build the habits and to build our strength on his truth. That is when it becomes our first response. When our first response is to get on our face and to pray to our Father. See, the Bible is full of these pressure-filled situations. And one of the things you notice as you study is that the, the prayers that come out of these situations are rarely small. They're rarely timid and they're rarely meek. You see, Moses prayed and the Red Sea split open. Elijah prayed and fire came down the mountain. 
Paul and Silas prayed and the chains were broken. Jesus prayed and was given the strength to save the world. Oftentimes as I look at my own prayer life, it seems like, you know, I'm just trying to pray for just enough to get by. And as I pray, I'm even kind of half wondering if he's listening and half wondering if he's going to answer my prayer. And yet the truth is, is that prayer of the Bible and praying scripture and talking to our God can be our strength. There's a book about prayer written by a guy named Mark Batterson called Draw the Circle. And in this book, there's this quote that's written that's kind of stuck with me ever since I read it. He says this, to quit talking to God about your problem and to start talking to your problem about God. <laughs> quit talking to God about your problem and start talking to your problem about God. What about you? Is there something in your life where you need to stop having these timid and quiet and unsure prayers, and maybe you need to start declaring the truth that is written in Scripture about who God is and how he is so much greater and so much more than anything that can come our way. This is our strength. This is why we pray the Bible, not so it's some magic formula that magically makes all our problems go away. That's not what he's trying to say. But instead, he's saying that even in our struggles, and even in our pain, and even in our being unsure of what is to come, that he will never leave us, and that is our strength. And his word has been given us to comfort in those times. We pray the Bible to remind us of who God is, to remind us of who we are, and to be our strength. And today you're going to have a chance not just to talk about these ideas, but to do that for each other. And as you came in today, you should have gotten something that looks like this. It's a prayer resource kind of handout. And I just briefly want to go over this before you go to your groups. See, this is not nearly an exhaustive list, but this is just a small example of every type of situation that prayer and that scripture is useful for. And one of the things that I know can be difficult, especially in a group setting, is praying out loud, but also praying for another person. And doing that can be, it can feel vulnerable, and it can feel awkward, and maybe you don't know what to say. But his word is our strength. And he can give us the words to speak. And so maybe there's someone that you know that's dealing with being lonely. And maybe as you look at this idea of being lonely, you can read this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 31 when it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And maybe in your prayer time, you can simply pray that truth over someone that you know. You can pray, God, would you remind this person that you have not left them, that you will never leave or forsake them, and they do not have to fear. It can be something as simple as that that can be grounding us in our prayers in his truth. That it can allow our prayers not to be our words and not to be our power, but simply God working through us. And so I just want to give you time, and your group leaders I'm sure will lead you through those exercises, but I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to allow yourself to be part of the church being the church. This is what we have been called to do. We are commanded to build each other up, to strengthen each other, to push ourselves out of our comfort zones, even if that's necessary, and to allow God to use us to encourage one another, to challenge and to build each other up. That is our command.
And so I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time and we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for this model of prayer that we've been given that declares who you are, that reminds us of who we are and that can be our strength. Lord, as we break into our groups, as we take time to pray for each other, I just ask that your spirit would be with us, that it would be our power, that you have given us this word to encourage and to build each other up. Lord, we love you so much, and we're thankful for everything that you do for us. And it's all in your name. Amen. Good job. So you're dismissed to your small groups. You want me to do this stuff? No, that's okay. They, they, okay. they do it every day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you for letting the cameras. And tomorrow night as well, right? Yes. Okay.